0: Welcome to another edition of The Best Business Minds, where we interview business leaders and academics that write thought-provoking books. I'm Mark Kramer, a serial entrepreneur who consults with family businesses and entrepreneurs. This is our 134th show. Today's guest is star executive coach, Roberta Matson, author of Can We Talk? Uh, Roberta, welcome, and I loved your book and I was amazed how you could take a single topic like this and make it into a very thoughtful book.
1: Thank you. Um, It's a pleasure to be with you today.
0: Well, we're uh, gonna enjoy learning more about this book. So let's start with you telling us about your professional background.
1: Well, my professional background actually started when I was 24 years old. And um, I came into the office one day, I was living in Houston and I walked into the office only to find out that my boss had been fired. So I did what I thought any other 24-year-old would do, and I went into the president's office and I asked for her job, and he actually gave it to me. (laughs) And that's the start of my career. I I was thrown into the executive suite at 24 years old, and um, I lasted a whole six years uh, before I got taken out by a wave I never saw coming. And so, you know, that led to me going into other organizations and building out their HR um, departments. And then about 25 years ago, launching my own practice, um, you know, based on everything that I had learned in the corporate environment, as well as all of those mistakes that I made. <clears throat> and I have written as a result of those mistakes, um you and I were talking about this, I've written six books as of today and possibly a seventh is on the horizon.
0: And everybody, and anybody who's not written a book before has no idea. It's, it's a lot, a lot of work, a ton of hours. I had an author on that I thought was really interesting uh, and what he said, he is the head of the AI lab at MIT. And the book, uh, the hardback version was 25 or $30. And he said, people don't realize they're getting 2,000 hours of my time. That's how long it took me to write this book, 2,000 hours for $30. That's a he good goes, deal. <laughs> yeah. And you think like most of us don't think about it that way, but essentially you're hiring a consultant for the price of that book and getting all of their information. And essentially you're sharing that cost of that person's time with all the people who buy that book and you're hoping the author hopes a lot of people end up buying that book or else uh, they ended up really making less than minimum wage, not even minimum wage on these things. Right. Um, So why did you write this book?
1: I wrote this book because in my practice as an executive coach, I I was seeing this pattern and and the book is, Can We Talk? It's about the seven principles for managing difficult conversations at work. And I was noticing that my um, people that I was coaching they were very reticent to have these difficult conversations. They were very conflict avoidant and it was really having a negative impact on their own careers. And so, you know, after a while you find yourself giving the same advice over and over again. And I thought, well, it's going to be a lot easier to just hand them the book and say, here, read this, um, than it is to keep repeating. And then it also occurred to me that obviously if they're having this challenge, there are many other people that are not having these conversations at work and they need to be.
0: Yeah, I found the book to be super practical and that the conversations you write into it to be real. Like, you know, you read a lot of people's books and the conversations seem to be very made up. And I found this to be very authentic. Uh, what unnerves some people about having conversations regarding letting someone go, letting them know they're underperforming, or telling them they're no longer a fit? Is it empathy, being the bad person, or something else? What, what, why is it difficult for people?
1: I, the people that I know, I mean, the majority of people I know are conflict avoidant. I mean, they don't want to have a, they don't even want to challenge their you know, spouse or partner about like, what do you mean we're having the same thing for dinner again? <laughs> They're just like, okay, we can eat pasta for the sixth night in a row. Just a lot of people are very conflict avoidant and they're not willing to um, take on these situations unless their hand is forced. And when that happens, you know, when you have your hand forced you're usually in a situation where it is not reflecting on you well, right? So if you have an employee who's having a performance issue and you're just ignoring it, eventually your boss is gonna notice. And your boss is gonna look at you like, what's wrong with you? It's your job to handle this. So you really owe it to yourself. You owe it to the employee um, to really have these conversations.
0: You write about seven principles that will improve your communication with your boss and peers. What are they?
1: Well, the first one, and these are in no particular order. um, The first one is confidence and that's really trusting um, yourself and trusting that the other party will be open to what you have to say. Uh, The second principle is clarity. I see all too often people get into these conversations and they haven't really thought through, well, what do I wanna see happen as a result of this conversation? And so they may get to that place and then they keep talking and then they talk themselves into a really bad space. Um, And then the third one is compassion. Which goes to you know being empathetic and really understanding because believe it or not most people don't wake up you know and say I'm going to make my boss's life miserable today <laughs> something else is going on um, in many cases uh, the fourth one is curiosity and entering into these conversations thinking about um, asking questions rather than you know saying oh how can I get through this quickly. Like, you know, finding out what's really going on with someone. Uh, The fifth one is compromise and um, earning respect by respecting others and understanding that you may not get what you're asking for, but if you can get some of it, that could be better than none of it. Uh, The sixth one is credibility. Uh, You know, your words are only as good as your actions. So if you're asking someone to do something and They need something from you and you say, I'll take care of it. And you don't, that could be problematic. And then the seventh one is really courage. Um, When I wrote this book, I wrote it not just for managers who had to have a difficult conversation with an employee, but for an employee who may need to have a difficult conversation with their own manager or with their peer. And so you really, that takes courage to really navigate um some of those political minefields that are in every organization and and it's so important that you it, it had to be its own chapter
0: um why are unsaid conversations the most dangerous
1: well because you don't know what you don't know <laughs> so if you're not going to talk about it and I'm not going to talk about it uh something else is here and it's only my experience it just keeps bubbling until it over you know, till boil things boil over. So you're, I've never seen a situation get better on its own. Do you,
0: do you also find that men are more conflict avoidant than women are? Because I'm thinking about when I was uh, married. Yeah, I was definitely that guy. (laughs) And I don't know too many guys who aren't um, like that because they just don't want any drama or anything. Hence why so so much a part of the population is divorced because we didn't <laughs> we didn't hit that head on. So are men more conflict avoidant than women?
1: You know, <clears throat> I mean, I can see your point. Um, I have a lot of female clients who are conflict avoidant as well. <laughs> so I don't think I want to pin that on one sex. Okay. But I think it is a problem, you know, all around.
0: All right. Uh, Why do so many people say after being fired, they had no idea they were being let go? Uh, Don't they have a gut instinct? I mean, I think most of us kind of know that the end is near.
1: Oh, you know, sometimes your boss, um, you know, keeps things very close to their heart and they don't really give you any indications. You know, I'll give you an example. Um, I once had a boss at my performance review say to me and this was over 30 years ago and I remember it like it was yesterday. She said, Roberta, um, you're not meeting my expectations, although I'm not sure I ever told you what they were. You know, mic drop. And I just thought to myself as I sat there, wow. You know, she went to Harvard. Um, I went to Northeastern at Harvard. You know, maybe they taught mind reading. But they Uh didn't teach that at Northeastern. So how would I know what she expected if she never told me so you know you're in a situation where your boss says you're not meeting my expectations, you're fired and there you are like well no one ever told me what they were so how can that be. So I think sometimes though we do avoid those signs. Um, we pretend like, oh, no, or your friends will say, oh, no, that's not really what's going on here. So you listen to them because you want to you want to think positively that everything's going to be OK. Well,
0: what did she yeah. and you had this whole this whole scenario was in your book. What, what did she what did you say when you kind of push back with her? Like, were you actually fired even though she admitted this?
1: after I was. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, I was at that point, I was like, lady, you got to be kidding me, you know, like, Mm -hmm. you're, you're crazier than I thought, you know, but I just kind of played the game and, you know, started immediately looking for another job because it was very obvious that I needed to get out of there.
0: Yeah, the writing was on the wall.
1: Right, I saw that, but you know. (laughs) Uh,
0: You've noted a concerning statistic, like 53% of employees avoid handling toxic situations and 2.8 hours per week, dealing with difficult situations. What kind of situations are we talking about? Has that improved over the decades? And what needs to happen to improve this? I mean, it's a huge number of hours of money being spent on this.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, you have some employees that are slacking off. And, you know, other people are pulling the weight. And today, given how many jobs are not filled right now and how many jobs people are being asked to do when they're hired to do a job, people are at capacity. And so, you know, they're just, they're, they're, they're sinking and, you know, people are, a lot of managers have been tossed into management with little more than a prayer. And what's winding up happening is they don't have the skills to manage. So they're not having conversations and, um, or if they are, they're doing it inappropriately, Right. They're yelling at employees. I mean, if you can believe it in this day and age, I still hear of situations where leaders are actually yelling in the office. Like Mm -hmm. I thought that went out in the 80s, but apparently it has not.
0: Yeah, it blows my mind, especially not only is it inappropriate, but people can walk away. (laughs) You know, talented people can just walk away and go somewhere else. And we've certainly seen in sports that the Bobby Knight way of coaching uh, stopped being stop being acceptable back in the 90s. It's crazy. Uh, Yeah, because people are just not gonna put up, and even in women's uh, basketball coaching, there have been women basketball coaches, which I think surprises us that there would be women coaches that are screamers, because you think of women as having more of a motherly nature when uh, coaching, that have been fired for the players saying that they were being abused by their coaches.
1: Absolutely. But you know, all these hours are, you know, they're wasted when you, when you think about like, let's just say you have an employee who is not doing their best and you're a manager and you're like, you know what, it's just easier for me to do it myself. Right. So now like you're wasting hours doing some tactical things when you should be working more strategically. Um, You know, you're wasting hours thinking about, you know, how am I going to deal with this explosive employee? They're my number one salesperson. Like you know you're wasting all this time just thinking about it rather than taking steps and just having a conversation.
0: Yeah, and we're going to talk about that explosive employee uh, down down the uh, road here. So let's look at the new Jersey Nets basketball team. Kyrie Irving promotes an anti-Semitic book and doubles down in comments. And, no, and, the, and until last night, there were no consequences. They suspended them for five games, which is still probably not enough. How should the Nets leadership handle that difficult conversation with one of their main stars? This kind of goes back to you just saying about the star salesperson.
1: I don't think it's a difficult conversation to be real honest with you. I think it's, you, you sit there and you watch it and you're like, you did what? Like, you know, watched it last night. I'm like, "What?" and then they did this. It's not a difficult conversation. It's, it's, it's this place where the organization has to think about what do we really want to stand for here? And, you know, if this behavior was so, intolerable and and so not reflective of their beliefs and the culture, then he should have been, you know, fired. Yeah, I don't care if he's the star. There's a million other stars waiting in the background waiting to get on the court.
0: I mean, you can't want to win that badly. Uh, and this is the same guy who um, he wouldn't get the shots you know that right. he needed to do and missed half the season for his team. I mean, everybody can debate the shots, but that's the reality of being employed by the NBA and you have choices to go and make. So well, that's
1: you, the problem, right? Because yeah. everybody is, he's a star performer and you see the same thing with your number one revenue generator. It doesn't matter if the guy's a jerk to everyone in the office or the gal, we're going to keep this person to bring in revenue. And at some point you have to say, what What are our values? Is this really?" How we want our culture to be? Is this the message we want to send to people?
0: I, I myself, uh, running that organization, i had to find out how to get out of that contract because they have one more year to pay them this season and cut them. I just I'm say,
1: sure there's a clause in those contracts, just like you know the anchor people. There's a clause about behavior. You can't just get up there and do crap and not and and keep your contract. I mean, look at the whole thing. Um, with Kanye West, I mean, they just put off his contracts, all those big, uh, you know,
0: endorsers. Yeah, he went from making billions a year to uh Zippo.
1: But, Mark, it comes down to courage, you have to have the courage to have these conversations. Uh,
0: Yeah, and uh, it's unfortunate that it took the Nets so long, the NBA just finally made a statement about it. I mean, it seems like. Everybody huddled around the lawyers and the PR people before they did anything when they should probably gone with their gut instinct and say, come on, that's just so wrong on so many levels uh, that, you know, I thought we stopped putting up with that kind of bad behavior, um, you know, years ago or certainly over the last so many years with the George George Floyd incident and and other things that cropped up. So it's unfortunate, but lessons learned.
1: But people watch this behavior, right? Employees yeah. they watch this behavior and like, oh, well, he can do that. Well, I can do that at work too. Let me, let me, you know, they're never gonna fire me. Like I'm their only programmer, you know?
0: Right. Yeah. And people believe that, you know, believe that. I bring in all the money. They're never gonna let uh, kick me out. I can do whatever I want. I'm both. And proof. you know
1: what? Too often they're right.
0: Well, uh, Donald Trump's famous line is that I can shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and get away with it.
1: And he so, has proven that.
0: yeah <laughs> so uh, we, we'll stray we won't stray into <laughs> politics here. You write about how poorly lack of performance or perceived performance is handled by leaders. Uh, please give an example on how could that be better?
1: <clears throat> well, you know, here you have the situation we talked about, where somebody's not really telling you what their expectations are, and so now you have an employee who isn't meeting your expectations. Yet you're not telling them, right? And so, you know, if you look at observed behavior and not what you not what you hear in the grapevine, you know, what am I observing here? You know, if you're not having that conversation about, you know, hey, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I need you to be doing what do you need from me? What skills might you need? Do you need any development here? Do you need a coach? Like, how can I get you to this place where you're able to, you know, be a, a valuable contributor to our team? So it's really about, you know, getting in there and, you know, seeing if you're able to get that employee where they need to be. Just because just they show up doesn't mean they, they have everything they need.
0: Uh, absolutely so so you write there are five signs uh you write about that a tough combination is coming one's way uh please tell us what they are and how to prepare for that
1: so, you know, the five signs that a tough conversation is is coming at you. Um, the first one is you go from right-hand man or woman to no man's land, right? So you used to, your boss used to confide in you and, you know, you were maybe the favorite child and now all of a sudden, like, they don't pay any attention to you. Yeah. Um, they're having Twitter sized conversations with you before they'd rap with you for you know ten minutes, whatever. Now it's like you know a certain number of characters, and they're done. Uh, the third one is you know they avoid you at all costs, right? And and we've all seen that. You know they go by your office and they're like this because <laughs> yeah. uh, they know that they're going to be having this conversation and they don't want to have it. Uh, and the fourth one is you can do no right. Like everything you used to do was great. Now you can do no right. And then the fifth one is um, your boss no longer returns your calls, your texts, your emails. Again, because they know like, oh, on Friday, we're going to be doing a layoff and you're on the list. I'm sure that's top of mind today as Twitter. I guess they may have made their announcement at noon today, our time, about layoffs.
0: I mean, they're laying out... 75% of the employees was what I had read before. I mean, I I don't even know how you function laying off 75% of the employees, you know, if you've built that kind of infrastructure. Do you think Elon Musk is handling this well?
1: No. I think he should take his sink and leave. Um, (laughs) No, I don't. Because first of all, whatever's happening, and if it happened, uh, I meant to look before we got on the call. um, It's going to happen via email. You know, some people have already written that last night they logged on and um, their Slack accounts were no longer functioning. So they're like, oh, looks like I no longer have a job, right? And yet we wonder we wonder why employees don't give two weeks notice anymore, why they're not loyal to an organization. I mean, you know, we we wonder.
0: Well, I, I think that's been going on for quite some time. I mean, I'm 61 when I was a kid and you went to work for IBM or AT&T, you had a lifetime job.
1: Totally. And
0: we started to realize in the late eighties, early nineties that you're just furniture. And that no matter what happens, if the company doesn't hit its quarter, or even if it does do reasonably well in the quarter, that if they decide, you know what, we're going to reduce headcount, they're not even thinking twice about it. And nope. clearly the people who sold Twitter didn't care at all about the employees, unlike people who start a company and sell the company. In most cases, they're interested in giving up some of the money for company retention. Mm hmm. I mean, I hear all the time when I work with family businesses who sell. One of the prerequisites is you're going to keep these people on, right? Like they're going to get a, another year contract. You know, they're going to be treated fairly. And these guys, of course, who were selling Twitter, they all walked away with a lot of money, and they don't care if these right,
1: know, so right, right
0: percent of the people can't pay their mortgage, car payments, kids' college. None of that means anything to these folks. Nope. Just they uh, made more money and doesn't mean anything to Elon Musk either uh, yeah. to let those pe- uh, let those people go. I uh, Twitter sued by workers over impending layoffs. So I'm sure there'll be a class action suit. that Yeah, will take, I don't uh, think they gave no
1: notice. I don't think they apparently in California, I think you have to give a certain amount something in California because that's where they're headquartered. <clears throat> and I don't think that that's what they did. I don't know.
0: Apparently, uh, they will be laying them off shortly. Um, so they're going to be announcing uh, the, the massive number of layoffs that they're going to be uh, doing. So I just looked that up on, on here. So however it's going to do, it's going to be barely a functioning organization uh, with that. He's looking to lay off as, as much as half of the Twitter employees, uh, half of 7,500 employees.
1: So, so here's what I would be doing right now if I were a um, if I were somebody looking for talent. I yep. would be on LinkedIn and I would be searching Twitter and I'd be reaching out to every single employee there, saying, "Hey, I have a job opportunity. <laughs> would you be interested in talking with me?" You know, because not only are the people that he's laying off leaving, but other people are going to immediately check out. And they're going to start looking for new jobs. So the place is going to be a mess for a very, very
0: long time. Well, I think always when this happens, uh, that the best employees are the first ones to go. Totally. uh, They are the ones who are saying, I got to get out of Dodge. Well, I still have some value here. And I'm going to go let all the headhunters uh, know that I'm now available. Well, they don't have to let them know.
1: I mean, Elon is letting them know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Right. Yeah, you're right. So they're they're already in the know about it. But these folks are saying, clearly, it's not going to be loyalty here. And I'm not good chance I won't have a job. So I need to uh, move as fast as I can to do that. And probably a lot of the people he would like to keep are not going to be there.
1: No, and And all that institutional
0: knowledge will disappear with it.
1: Right. But who's going to now want to go work there? So all the so the people who are going to leave that they may not have anticipated, those jobs are going to remain unfilled. So now you have like you're going to be working twice as hard for the same amount of money, knowing that your company's going through this crazy time. It's a disaster.
0: And don't you also think people who go to work for Twitter feel it's a higher calling because they want to balance public debate like they're A lot of people join that because they're worried about the lies that are put out uh, on their whatever side you're on. These folks are concerned about how this is going to be run in a free for all. And Mm. that's why they worked for Twitter is to make sure that that free for all didn't happen. I kind of think that they had a higher purpose than somebody who's selling widgets.
1: I don't know. I think they thought it was a cool company. (laughs) Uh,
0: with pretty uh, good
1: free food and uh, nice office facilities before COVID.
0: Uh, probably, and and all of that factored in. Many of us have hired family members and close friends who haven't worked out. How could we have prevented making the mistake? And how should we, and how should the conversation go to save that relationship? I've done that. I fired my own father-in-law. And that was not, a, and I was only married, not even a year. So that was an ugly conversation. I've had to let friends go that I thought would be great. Uh, and some of those friends I'm not friends with anymore because of it. I mean, people like a guy who was in my own wedding.
1: Well, I think you answered your own question. And the way to avoid it is to not do it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> And if you are tempted to do it, do it on a contract basis. Like if you have a friend who has a special skill that you think could really be valuable, you know, hire that person um, as a consultant to come in and do your marketing plan. Like don't put them on your payroll forever, right? So I'm all for avoidance. If you can avoid it, great, you know, go do that. But, you know, you're right. I mean, I think you have to, you know, give them the message, look, this isn't personal, but I feel like it's not working out for me. I can't imagine you feel it's working out for you. And so, you know, I feel strongly that this is the time for us to both kind of shake hands and part ways. But I'm also a proponent of making sure that you give people a soft landing. And in doing so, you know, you're generous and you're like, look, I'm going to keep you on the insurance for three months, or I'm going to, you know, keep you on the payroll for a month, or I'm going to help you. Um, you know, I'm going to help you get a job coach, job search coach, whatever, like, you know, do whatever you can and make it a soft landing and just say, you know, let's, let's just agree to disagree or whatever. It's just, it's not going to work.
0: Yeah. I I've had those. I once um, did a turnaround where I laid off 40% of the people, but before I laid them off, I emailed all these CEOs, letting them know that these are the people that are going to be available, that we just won't need going forward, that they're highly skilled and so forth, and actually got all of them job interviews. So when I laid them off, I said, here are the person you're going to call. They're very interested in you working for them. So there was no drop in the organization. People were thrilled about, but there were some people said, what if I want to leave? Are you going to help me? (laughs) With an introduction, uh, because now I'm missing like my two of my best friends were people that you let go. And I had uh, one person where I was saving him from drowning and um, kept him on, gave him three quarters of a contract that we got. And he was supposed to finish it and he never did and wanted 5,000 more. And I was like, "Ah, no, I can't do that. And that ended that. Uh, how do you stay cool when things get heated and emotional what what's the mindset or how do you make sure you don't lose it
1: well i think you have to be really you know and i write about this in can we talk you have to understand that you may not get through this conversation in one session and you have to be prepared to say you know what i think we should just take a pause here um I'm gonna go, you know, I'm gonna think about what we said today. I want you to do the same. Let's meet tomorrow at 10 a.m. and pick up where we left off. Because, you know, what's gonna happen is, you know, know, you're gonna accuse them of something. They're gonna accuse you. Things are gonna get really heated and elevated. And the way to bring the temperature down sometimes is to just
0: pause. Yeah. And, and, and do you do that in an, in an office environment? Do you take them out of the office? You know, what's your recommendation <laughs> I always ended up doing it in the office.
1: Well, I'm laughing because when, as soon as you said that, I'm like, yes. And I was standing in Starbucks in yeah. line and waiting for a coffee while to the right of me, you know, was a guy who had on like his company logo and it looked like a boss. And they were having a very serious conversation. And I could hear some of it. And he was like being fired. <laughs> it was like.
0: Oh, shit. On the right there at the uh, Starbucks line.
1: I'm right next. And I'm like, dude, <clears throat> first of all, I know, you're a crappy manager. I know what company you work for. I, you know, I feel like I should just, you know, send a message to your CEO. <laughs> like, you need my help. Um, it was very um, uncomfortable for me and I, you know, and I'm used to this stuff, but also for the employee. So I think it really depends on the situation.
0: Uh, you write uh, focus on what you hear and not how you respond. What tips do you have for that? What, what are you talking about there?
1: <clears throat> well, I think it's important when you're, you know, when you're in these conversations, right? So many times you're like, the other person is speaking. You're like, okay, what am I going to say next? Oh, he said, okay, I'm going to, uh, and you're not really listening. And I think the key to having one of these conversations in an effective manner is to really listen deeply and not be so worried about, okay, and now I'm going to say this or cut them off in the middle of that conversation. It's really important to just be a good listener and and think about what has just been said so that you can respond appropriately.
0: Uh, when you are the one called in by your boss and you disagree with that assessment, whatever the topic is, how should you defend yourself without coming across as defensive or making your boss angrier?
1: Well, sometimes again, it's a matter of pausing, right? And you can say, wow, you know, this is honestly, this is the first time I've heard this. Um, Would it be okay if I thought about this? And and came and we met tomorrow. And um, so I could share some of my, you know, observations about the situation with you in a, in a in a better way than if I just right now tell you exactly what I'm thinking. (laughs) And what are they going to say? No, you have to tell me now, like, sure, you know, "I, I understand. And then you can go home and prepare your speaking points and say, well, you know, I heard you say this, you may not, you may not be aware that, um your counterpart also gave me two other assignments and so i had three priorities that week and if everything's a priority nothing's a priority and in retrospect i probably should have gone back to each of you and told you this but i didn't so i'll take responsibility so i mean leaders are looking for employees to take responsibility for their actions and if you can show your manager that you know yeah I probably didn't handle it the best way this is a learning opportunity for me you know you'll you'll get a mea culpa you know you'll you'll get a pass
0: uh how do you feel uh with people who are always feel the need to be right which you address in the book how do i feel about them <laughs> yeah i mean like how do you deal with people like that who always feel the need to be right i mean how do you actually work with those people and there are lots of bosses Who always have to prove that they're smarter than everybody else?
1: Yes, that's a tough one, right? And so, first of all, you already know that they have to feel that they're right. And so, a good strategy for dealing with them is to make them think they're right. (laughs) You know, and, and rather than apologizing, you'd always say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry you feel that way, right? Rather than saying, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. So, or, you know, I can see your point and and then say, you know, I'd like to explain my side. Um, In the end, if you're working with someone like that, I'm not so sure how long the relationship for you will last. Uh, You're better off finding a boss who will actually listen and respect you and be open to your ideas and think that you actually might have something to contribute
0: the boss who is like that and and at some point people are pointing that out to that boss how can they get how can they fix their own behavior so they're not putting a ceiling on their own ten, talent and potential
1: well i always say and and i say this to my coaching clients and i've written this in all of my books you know people don't work for companies they work for people and you have to accept the fact that You know, leadership is nothing more than perception and you as a leader, it's how you're being viewed. And you may think you're the best boss ever, but if nobody else thinks that you're, you're alone here. And so in the majority of my coaching engagements, I I start with a 360 where I interview the people that work for them. I interview their boss, um, customers, and I give them a whole view of how they're being perceived. And when nine out of 10 times when I'm talking to these people, actually 10 out of 10 times, uh, a pattern will appear and there'll be certain things that are getting in their way. And when you can have an objective party point out to someone, you're doing these three things and they're getting in your way. They're more apt to say, hmm, it's getting in my way. I want to advance. I need to address this.
0: I have to say, I, I do a lot of this kind of work with CEOs when I'm helping them with their strategy and I'm interviewing their uh, employees and ask the employees about the CEO. And I had this one CEO that the employee said, we check his temperature when he comes in the door before we tell him about any problems to see what kind of mood he's in. Um, because it, essentially, you know, if if it doesn't seem like it's the right time, we just don't tell him. And when I told him, gave him the feedback, he was like, surprised. like, what do you mean? And I said, apparently, you know, you tend to fly off the handle or you look like you're in a bad mood when you come in. You know, you don't seem, you know, rock stable every day. They admire how smart you are and how creative and how you built this business. But I said, sometimes these people tell me they're a week to two weeks away from telling you bad news that you need to act on right away. And they're afraid to tell you this stuff because of your own reaction. He was genuinely surprised and he didn't get to see who said what, only what was said. And he called all the senior people in and he goes, nobody's getting fired here. By really gonna know, is this really true? <laughs> um, and so this one woman looked around the table, goes, okay, if nobody else has the guts to tell you, I'm telling you now, that is exactly how it is. And then the others kind of piped in. And he was deflated. I mean, it was a real gut punch to him, uh, that he just didn't see that, didn't see it in himself. He thought that was other people because it was an HR company <laughs> it was running. Uh and he had been head of HR for a company and had now like a hundred HR people that he put out in the field. And he goes, I need to, I need to see somebody now, you know, cause yeah. that wasn't the work that I was doing uh, for him. I was just, you know, compiling this as to make the company better, but he did improve on it. And we, and we did a six month later to see if he actually improved at all. And people were saying, yeah, we're seeing a whole different person. It's awesome. Uh, come in. And he told me, he said, when he got out of the car to go in the building, he stopped himself and said, okay, I've got to look, you know, um, accessible. And that I've, I've got to look like people could come to me. So I've got to think about my facial expression. So he said, he thought about all the stuff when he'd walk in the door, always said the same thing every morning going forward morning to everybody, how's your day going, everything. So people felt they could trust him to come with problems because it comes down to trust, right? Like, right. you know, even in personal relationships, if one's partner is a screamer, the other partner's like, ah, oh, it's not even worth the aggravation, <laughs> right?
1: right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, applause, uh, you know, and hats off to him for actually taking that feedback saying, I need help because- yeah. You know, when I coach people, the first thing, you know, I'm not a Hail Mary coach. If you have an employee who like, okay, we're going to fire this person, but we're just going to give them a coach so that we can tell our lawyers we did. Yeah, right. I'm not your gal. But if, you know, one of the requirements I have is that the person I'm coaching has to want this more than I do. Because you can't want something for someone more than they want for themselves.
0: By the way, I I wonder this you know, we went through an error and I guess we still have a just not as pronounced now in the media uh, where uh, people were saying things that offended other people, whether it was sexual, whether it was political, whatever that was. How, what do you tell companies and employees how best to handle? Because some people don't even know or think even if they're thoughtful people, Think that what they're doing is wrong or it's out of line, and if they are out of line, what do you tell uh, companies should be the process for handling it as opposed to automatically firing them unless it's just so egregious? What, well, what do you tell, I tell people.
1: Well, first we teach the employee. We teach the employees that you know they need to take a stand and they need you know if it's a situation of sexual harassment the first question that they're going to be asked if they you know take it to trial or whatever is you know did you ask this person to stop and so the first thing that somebody needs to say is whatever you're saying is making me very uncomfortable and i need you to stop that's first and foremost and sometimes that will stop the situation other times, you know, that person will think it's a joke and they'll keep telling inappropriate jokes or whatever they're doing. And then you have to elevate it and you have to take it if there's an HR person and say, I'm being, I'm feeling very uncomfortable around this person. Here's why, you know, so it's about teaching people that they do have rights and, and that they don't need to um, listen to somebody trying to, you know, convert them to Buddhism, Buddhism or Judaism or policies, whatever. Um, And so, you know, we just set standards in the organization and some companies have policies around politics. Like we're not going to get into it here.
0: (laughs) I um, helped one of the family businesses I worked with that had some of that, those kinds of issues. And I said, let's put together a team of the employees and kind of write out our own 10 commandments. And we put together a document of what was acceptable and not acceptable. And then I asked employees, "What would what's the best process to go through? Because, you know, we don't want somebody here uh, that makes people uncomfortable. At the same time, we don't want people thrown out onto the street and not able to pay their mortgage either. So what's the process? So they got together and they made a list of what's not acceptable to say and uh, what would be the penalties if you did say it. And some of them were kind of, you know, uh, they started with some kind of penalties that were like, okay, you now got to do my job for a week, you know, or or something along those lines. But they did come up with stuff. And we found that the bad behavior went away because they were involved in, in discussing it. And they started the police themselves. And I don't think they had another incident where somebody had to actually be fired. That's awesome. Yeah, and they were careful when they brought new people in for interviews, they shared the list with them and said, if any of this stuff is you're uncomfortable with, like, you can't stick to this, like, you're just somebody can't help yourself with some of this. This is not the place for you. We're just doesn't matter how great an employee you are, what kind of production you have, you're gone. Mm -hmm. And so that was the employees telling recruits when they were coming through. So I think that worked out uh, well. Uh, well for them often when your boss or client isn't happy with your work they have already made up their mind on the outcome we talked about this earlier as a leader how do you stop yourself from doing that in case you're wrong and come across as authentic when listening to a person's response Uh, and as an employee how do you or can you make it into a positive conversation
1: Mm, That's a good question. Well, on the first end, if you think about it, and you think about how hard it is right now to fill jobs, we have over 10 million job openings. And, you know, it's in many um, areas, it's next to impossible to staff these positions. And so if you're going into this conversation with the mindset you know, I need to do whatever I can to fix this relationship or or help this employee be the best that they can be. Because right now, even if I wanted to, uh, there, are, there are no replacements, you know, try hiring a CDL driver, like, you know, like I mean, impossible or, or a nurse or a teacher for that matter. So, you know, in your mind, if you shift your mindset and say, look, I can give this person some feedback that in the long run is going to help them grow, That's my responsibility here as a leader. And so that's what I would encourage you to do rather than, I'm going to nail this guy, you know, or this woman. You know, they've been crappy since day one. (laughs) They've made my life miserable. And as an employee, you know, look, it's we all make mistakes. And, And if you say to your boss, you know, you're right, I was off my game, I was distracted. You probably didn't tell you, but my spouse was in the hospital and I was caretaker for our four kids, you know, whatever. And I think if you just trust that your boss will have some empathy, um, and if you, you know, make changes in your own behavior and you ask for help and course correct, then I think you can save the relationship.
0: Some, Some people have a hard time hiding their facial expressions. What if this is a weakness uh, someone has, especially a boss? So what do you do? Like if you're just one of those people that your face tells everything?
1: I got to tell you, the best gift I think many of us got, because I am one of those people,
0: was was mask mask. during COVID.
1: So, or sunglasses. So I play a lot of pickleball. And in this sport, there's a lot of people who call things out that shouldn't be called out. And I'm notorious for like, letting that ruffle my feathers. I have my sunglasses on, you cannot see how angry I am. I'm like, Oh, I can't believe they did that. So I usually play with them. So my advice is like, you know, if you need to put on a pair of sunglasses, (laughs) you can do that. Um, It's hard, right? Because I consider myself to be one of those people. But when you have the mask on, you know, you're like, oh, that guy's a jerk. And you yeah. have no idea you're what you're thinking.
0: <laughs> I mean, there are people who are good at, we see in sports, um, Joe Torrey who managed and other great managers, they're very placid looking and they don't smile a lot, but they don't <laughs> frown either. You know, and and there, we had a, a great shortstop in Larry Boer for the Phillies and he managed two teams. And the players would say, you could tell By his facial expressions, how disappointed he was in you, like he could not hold himself back. And they basically said, That ruined me for the rest of the game. You know, I made an error instead of being, you know, trying to build me back up again. He rolled his eyes. Well, then they were shot. And that's got to be bad for an organization when you're not, because that's just another emotional tick that you can't control.
1: Well, I don't. I don't. I think you can control it, and that I mean that
0: they to, should be controlling, but right. Not. And I
1: think it goes back to behavioral changes. So when I work with leaders, um, who you know, as their executive coach. Um we <clears throat> it's set up in a way where they have stakeholders, and we ask those stakeholders to keep them accountable. And so in a scenario like that with the eye rolling, I would be saying, you know, you need somebody in that meeting in you know, the conference room, your you know, weekly meeting who, when you start to roll your eyes, they go like this. and they signal uh-huh. you and you're like, okay, uh, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> You know, and it's a habit and you can break habits, but you just, it's going to take a while, but you have to want to.
0: That, that's the most important part. The ones, people that you coach, how do you know if you've got a coachable person? And and when you see ones who are uncoachable, what what do, what's the profile those people look like? So let's start with the peer profile of the people that you meet and you go, you know what, this person is just not coachable.
1: Um, well, they're argumentative. They refuse to take feedback. Um, they don't want to be coached. You've just been assigned to them. And then they tell you, I'm not really interested in having a coach. Um, they're, they're just there. You can tell they're just not into it. They don't believe in coaching. They'll tell you, I don't believe in coaching. Um, <laughs> even though their wife is applauding, like, yeah. <laughs> help him, yeah. uh, you know, or her. So, you know, I don't do those assignments. I just go back and I say, I don't think that we're, I'm the right fit for this person and, or this person is not ready for coaching.
0: How about the people who say yes to coaching, but they don't really mean it. They just know that it's going to look good or that that's the expectation. How do you ferret those people out and either say, yeah, I'm just not going to work with them because I could tell they're not sincere or how do you manage to turn them around? Because you know it's important to the organization.
1: Well, I always try to make sure they understand that it's in their best interest, and that you know they're the ones who are in control of these results. And sometimes I do have—I mean, I have to be transparent, and you know, I will tell them. You know, you this what you're experiencing here. You know, this could be the end of the line for you. So if you really want to you know, stay in this organization, in this role, you're going to have to make some changes. You know, and it's up to them. I'm not, you know, I'm not their mother and I'm not going to be able to change them if they don't want to, but you know, it's a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. And um, fortunately the results are amazing. I mean, I just had a conversation last week with a woman that I coached like eight years ago. And at that point, it was really like touch and go whether or not she was gonna be able to stay in the company. I mean, that was really touch and go. And she's just been promoted to COO. I'm like, woo, Like, and I have no doubt that in a year or two, she'll be CEO.
0: So and you feel really I should, good about that.
1: I do, I feel great. I feel great that she and I had this great experience that I was able to help her get, you know, rid of some of the things that were getting in her way and get her notice for everything that she was doing really well.
0: Now, I think coaching is great. I've always kind of gone to mentors, even at 61, I still go to them. Because I think that you're always in this constant state of improvement. And you have to be open to it. But like you say, it's all on you at the end of the day, just like drugs, alcohol, whatever it is. People are saying, well, can't you get them to do this? Not unless they want to.
1: Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you talk to experts, not unless they want to you know, losing weight doesn't make a difference what it is. You write about developing a plan before having a difficult conversation. Do you write it out and do you write potential responses from the person you're talking with? Explain how you, how you do that.
1: Well, first of all, there shouldn't be any question that you, it, there shouldn't be any unexpected questions. So for example, um, November 1st, New York City uh, announced their pay transparency law had gone into effect. And that means that employers with four or more employees, <clears throat> even if only one of your employees works in New York City, um, if you're posting a job, if it's a remote job and you're in you know, New York City based, you have to post the salary ranges. And I am now working with some organizations to prepare their managers to have some of the toughest work you know challenge conversations that they've ever had because now you as a leader you're going to be faced with people coming to you saying huh the salary range is between you know 70,000 and 100 why am I making 71,000 right you have to be prepared for that you know that's going to come up and you can't just say to yourself oh no one's ever going to ask me about that uh you have to be able to answer, gee, this is really interesting. You know, you brought in this employee at 75, but I'm making 72. Right. Z is talking, man. They're talking, they're telling everybody everything. Um, so, I mean, you have to be prepared. So, if you're going to put your head in the sand and say, I'm never going to have to have a, talk- a conversation about this. You're going to be in for one big surprise. And so I do encourage people to create their own script. I say there's nothing wrong with bringing it into the meeting, your speaking points, so that you stay on task. And, you know, the more you prepare, especially your opening line, like you go to the theater, the actor doesn't come out to the stage and not rehearse the opening lines. <laughs> so you go in prepared. And I then expect
0: yeah. the unexpected. Uh, it certainly takes a little bit of the stress off knowing that you were prepared. Still not good, but at least it might do some, uh, make an improvement. A very difficult conversation to have is when a star performer is accused of sexual harassment and management wants to make it go away. You dealt with that. You talked about this a little bit earlier. Please tell that story and explain what went through your mind and how those things should be handled.
1: Okay. So in my situation, it was one of our star, I was head of HR. Um, it was one of our star salespeople who at our annual meeting, um, supposedly hooked up with another salesperson at the hotel. And, uh, she was very uncomfortable with what happened, And so she came to me and, you know, said, I'm very uncomfortable with what's going on. In the meantime, the CEO was like, this is our top salesperson and we have to do everything we can to keep him. So, you know, you're in a situation where you're investigating a sexual harassment claim. And at the same time, your boss is telling you we have to keep them. So what do you do? And I remember sitting in the investigation And hearing all these details, and I just remember thinking, oh, man, I don't really want to hear this, (laughs) you know, and then she sat next to me on the bed. I'm like, oh, God, (laughs) it was just getting really bad. And, you know, I finally, you know, had to ask her, what is it that you really want here? And she's like, I want him to stop. Thank God that's all she wanted, because we were able to get him to agree not to interact with her at work, to stay away from her. She got what she wanted, the CEO got what he wanted, and you know, I walked away smelling good, although honestly, you know, 20 years later, I think to myself, yeah, I don't know if that was so good. Is he still yeah. doing this?
0: Yeah, and he and I was going to ask that. Was he still doing it like, oh, yeah, I moved on from her, but now I'm harassing somebody else.
1: Well, not in that company, but, you know, later on, it's sort of like, you know, if you don't press charges against a rapist, are they going to do it again? Like, I don't know. My head just went into places.
0: I a friend of mine was head of an HR for a company, and they also wanted to keep this star performer. And he told him the guy has got to go. I mean, his just his behavior. And they weren't willing to pull pull the trigger. They're like, we just need him too much. Get rid of the person he's having the problem with. <clears throat> and he ended up uh, resigning and ended up as part of her lawsuit.
1: Yeah, I think I think today I would have handled it very differently. But it was also before the Me Too era. I think today I would have handled it differently.
0: But And when you're younger, it's much more complicated. And you're just in the beginning of your career. None of these things are easy even later in your career and you're making big money you don't necessarily want to blow that up so these are never easy situations you write that corporate culture has a lot but maybe but maybe everything to do with internal company drama what if you inherit a company that the ceo was a uh, a people pleaser and you write about this in the book and you have to deal with the ongoing drama how do you fix it
1: well, again, you can't fix, you know, I, you know, the CEO sets the culture. Everybody thinks, oh, HR sets the culture or the leadership team. The C, the culture starts at the top of an organization. And, you know, culture is, you know, a set of shared values and beliefs. And, you know, if you've got that person at the top who is off the rails, there's very little that anyone else can do to create like a really healthy environment.
0: Get, uh, do you get to, how do you get to people to stop being defensive? What words or phrases do you use uh, not not to be like that?
1: Well, I think you have to point out when they are defensive that you have to get them to eliminate the words, yes, but, you know, because, you know, that's defensive, right? Like, well, you're doing this wrong. Yes, but, you know, and <clears throat> so you have to keep bringing it to their attention. You're not able to use the words. Yes, but.
0: Okay. Right. You can
1: present your case, but you can't say yes, but <laughs> you could say, have you considered, but you can't say yes, but
0: there's a good words to use. Yes, but I mean, you know, have you considered it's a good way of phrasing it. Uh, This country is in a lot of pain and confusion because people on opposite sides aren't getting to know each other as individuals and finding uh, common ground. You see here that this in Congress where members used to play fantasy sports, because I know from friends of mine who work in Congress, go golfing together, have dinner with their spouses, and really get to know people on a personal level, which encourages more open mindedness and a give and take. What do you think needs to happen before we go all the way, like all the other past empires that we we eventually disintegrate because of this kind of problem? I mean, this is a a solvable problem. What's your take on this?
1: I think you should run for president. Again, the tone starts at the top and I don't want to get into politics, but right. we some pretty explosive, you know, leaders and that are setting the tone that, you know, we're not friends here. There's us and them. And so nobody's talking to anybody. And I feel like the American people are the ones that are suffering. There are no good outcomes that are going to come out of this midterm elections, you know, because half the country is going to get what they really wanted. And the other half isn't. So it's going to be a crazy time. I think I'll take next week off.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know the last election, I had a friend that was a psychiatrist. And she said she was, the election 2016, she was in a ball crying um, because she didn't even know what to tell her patients who were telling her that they were thinking of committing suicide. So hopefully people will read your book and get better. <laughs> handling these problems. Yes. Well, I want to thank you so much. And Roberta, obviously I'm going to have to look at some of your other books and have you back again. I'd love that. You should send me some of the other books you think would be good for us to hear and we can have you back next year.
1: That sounds great. And it's been a pleasure. And if, if any of your listeners want to reach out, if they have questions about, you know, difficult conversations or leadership or coaching Um, They can find me at Roberta at MatchesonConsulting.com or they can, you know, send me an invite on LinkedIn and please mention your show because I get a ton of invitations. But if I hear that you're more, you know, listening to today's episode, I will certainly accept your
0: request. I will also look to put your LinkedIn profile when I send everybody the video because a good chunk of the audience does not come They just prefer to listen to it at their own leisure. So again, I thank you for taking the time to speak with us and thank everybody uh, for participating today. And I will look forward to seeing you all next Friday. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. Take care and a good weekend.